This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 31, 1-5 and 9-16. through In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. In your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning to everybody in our Southern California community. And we welcome old and new friends who are dropping in from points all over as well. We're in the sixth week of a six-week series roughly covering Lent that we're calling Healing and Lament. Healing and Lament. And we've been exploring two different types of lament. So communal lament and individual lament. And each week we've been alternating between those two until arriving to Easter, full of hope and celebration. We have a rough definition for lament. And lament is staying in a place of grief where we recognize and grieve everything that is not right. Everything that is not right, both within and without. And so we are in a final psalm of lament going into uh, Holy Week, the week of the Passion, where we commemorate, celebrate even, Jesus' death on the cross. So I have a small preview for our Good Friday services. We've spoken of communal lament and individual lament. Uh, and it may feel like we've covered all sorts of biblical lament, all the lament emanating from humanity. But there was one type of lament that I purposely left out, purposely saved for our Good Friday service. And it's the most important type of lament. 
It's the lament of God himself. And so our Good Friday service will help us meditate and reflect upon what are the things that God laments. And in the week of the Passion, we often put all of the spotlight on Jesus Christ and the pain and the suffering on the cross. But oftentimes we neglect to understand the lament of God the Father, God the Spirit, as well as God the Son as well. And so our Good Friday service, we will unpack in a very brief, reflective way the lament of God. Today, we look at Psalm 31. It's another individual lament. And it's for those who feel very much alone in the world. You know this, and I know this. Uh, A friend might loan us some money if we're in a jam. But we have to be real, and we say those accommodating gifts and loans wouldn't last beyond but a few requests. We know this, a company might endorse you in your talents, but they will drop you really quickly when a scandal hits, even if you're Lance Armstrong or Tiger Woods. You will get dropped rapidly. We know this. Only a mother, only a mother could continue to communicate and care for a wayward child. Even if he landed in prison, only a mother would visit. uh, Make sure that there's money in the commissary account. And that wouldn't even happen 100% of the time. But only a few would walk that far. I want to give you just a little window into pastor world. Uh, Unless you have a pre-existing friendship or relationship with a pastor, I am the man who people talk to when the wheels have come off and when the train wreck has already happened. People like to talk to me when there are really no other options. Because if there was another option, they would try that one first. And so many people talk to a pastor when there is almost nothing to fix. There's nothing to change or strategize about. The bomb has already gone off. All the other things have been tried. It's when the marriage is already over. It's when your reputation has already blown up. That no PR firm could ever salvage. Uh, I'm a guy, and pastors like me uh, are the ones that people expect to maybe deliver a miracle, a Hail Mary pass, when nothing else is delivered. Now here's a quick sidebar bad pastors. I'm growing in to be a good pastor, but I have a history of being a bad pastor. Is in those situations where people come to you in desperation, bad pastors will double up 
on solutions and strategies and try to maybe do with renewed fervor what everyone else has already been trying to do. And good pastors will lead a person to refuge, capital R. I get this honor and privilege of speaking with men and women who have been stripped of niceties, stripped of false fronts, stripped of composed and neatly arranged lives. I want you to try to imagine the disappointment when nothing else has worked and people feel the most desperate they have ever felt. And a pastor sits with them and says, We have to pray. Would you pray with me? I have to bring you to a refuge, capital R, that I cannot provide you. I can walk with you in the road up to a place, and then I have to say, I can go no further. I can't go with you. I can't go along with you. I cannot. I will go with you as long as I can. But there is a stretch of the road that even I cannot go with you. See, friends and family will walk us and walk with us to a place, to a point. Martha Martha Manning is a psychologist, therapist, author. And she writes about uh, a certain client and patient of hers, Annie. And Annie had been referred to her by a doctor of oncology because patients going through difficult physical trauma also have accompanying psychological and emotional trauma. And so Martha Manning writes about meeting Annie. And uh, she walked with Annie when Annie had her first wave of treatments and she was offering therapy and support for accompanying frustrations and depression and issues with family. And then then Annie discovered that uh, the cancer had metastasized to her brain uh, to the point where uh, there were just no more treatments available. And so Annie came into her office and talked to Martha and, and she stopped the discussion at one point and Annie said this, Martha, what do you believe? And Martha said, I believe data. It's, it's not important what I believe, it's important what you believe. And so Annie had a lot of foul sounding words and she said, stop it, Martha. What do you believe? Like, what do you believe about dying? What do you believe about prayers? Where we go after death? And and Martha continues and she said, look, there's data, good data and good studies that have shown a correlation between prayer and the healing power of prayer. And Annie said, stop it, stop it, stop it. No, I need to know right now. What do you believe? And Martha writes that she fumbled around. And her final answer was this, I didn't know. So Annie lit a cigarette and she said, you're going to be with me, right? Till the end. And Martha said, what end? 
And, and he said, the end, Martha, the real end, death. Death, okay? And so Martha said, yeah, Annie, I'm going to be with you until the end. And Martha did. She did. But Martha writes this, is she says, and I quote her, she said, that didn't seem to be like the end. I could go with her, but not there. See, there are limits, right? Limits to how far we can walk along that dark road until someone is just alone. Take hospice, for example, when the closest family circle is present. Uh, Martha Manny, again, along with Annie as a client, she says this, she says, hospice is one of the few places in life where we say this, we can't fix it and we're not going to try anymore. Otherwise we do it. Um, hospice is the place where pain-killing drugs are the very best option that we have. Like Philip Height. Two and a half years ago, or two and a half weeks ago, was moved to hospice. Who is Philip Height? He's a pastor, Redondo Beach, South Bay. Recently moved to Oregon. Some of you might know him. Wife Amber, four kids, ten, eight, six, and four. He was sent to hospital, uh, hospice two weeks ago. And so I, I sent him a text. It was a psalm, a link to a song. What was the song? My flesh and my heart may fail me, but you, O oh God, are my strength and my portion forever. Two words sent back. Thank you. He died a week ago. Now at some point, the family cannot walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They can walk us to the valley's entrance and they can hold hands with us until the end, until to a point, and then they can't walk with us anymore. They are only with us to a point. I, I want to list some things happening in Psalm 31. And this psalm, especially in this holy week, is worth reading and rereading. And I'm only going to extract some of these ideas from only the first five verses, but there is much here that you can do as well. What is David feeling in his aloneness? He feels, I am being attacked. And there is none around me to provide defense or offense or protection. And so what does he say in, in that those first five verses? Oh, in you, oh Lord, I'm going to take refuge. But why? Because I'm feeling alone. I feel like there's no other option. I'm feeling attacked. He says this, I feel shame. He gets it out in the open. I feel shame. And because he says this in the psalm. He says, let me not be put to shame. Because that's I'm feeling shame in my isolation and aloneness. He says, what else is he feeling when he's alone? My best, my actions, my my solutions, my justifications are 
not working. How do I know that? Because he says that. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me. What else is he feeling? He's feeling ignored and not seen and alone and not listened. Like there is no one to listen to him because what does he say? Incline your ear to me, O God. Listen. He's feeling alone and like nothing has happened and he will stay in the same place of being alone. Why does he say? He says, rescue me speedily. Rescue me speedily. What else is he feeling alone? When you are alone, you are feeling weak and you are feeling exposed and you are feeling unmatched, unarmed to what is required of you. And he, that's why he says, this is in, just in the first five verses, be my rock because I'm weak. Be my fortress because I'm, I'm exposed. This is the cry, this is the lament of the alone. How is this lament? What is David lamenting? Uh, lamenting? What do we lament? I'm doing this by myself here. I'm, walk, I'm walking alone. I'm walking alone. It's just me. No one gets me. No one has the right help. No one has the right therapy. No one has the right words. No one has the right medicine for me. They try up to a point, up to the valley's entrance, and then no more. And now it's just me. How, how many of you have heard yourself or your spouse saying this every now and then? I feel like I'm doing this alone. I'm alone. C.S. Lewis has a definition of what a true friend is. And he says, a true friend, when you meet them, will say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. But the lament of David is not a C.S. Lewis quoting day. The lament is, I am alone. I am the only one. And that is a lie. That is what I'm here to tell you today. In the middle of that wrenching lament, I am alone. No one is here for me. No one gets me. No one. That is a lie. And I'm going to call it out as a lie. But this is amazing. Our God allows us to lament our feelings that are lies because he meets those lies with his truth, with himself. As we head into this week before Easter, meditating on the passion of the Christ, uh, the Christ, the right, the cross before us, the last recorded words of Jesus that we have, from, from Luke 23, among other places. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
That's Psalm 31.5. Who quotes song lyrics at the end? Jesus. Uh, Michael Walrand, he's pastor at First Corinthians Baptist Church in Harlem, New York City. And he says this, he says, your words will go places that you may never go. Your words may go places or will go places that you may never go. God's word is with you where none can follow. What is Jesus saying? You, Father, will have to take over here. I have reached the mortal limits of myself. Now, when I say the word Jesus and you think, okay, Jesus is God, you do not want me to hear, you do not want to hear the word limits on the person of Jesus as God. But we get this from Philippians 2 that describes Jesus voluntarily self-limiting himself. Voluntarily limiting himself to what? Humanity. And so here he is in this darkness. And he is reaching a point where there are no more solutions. Because he has limited himself. And I don't have any more left. I'm all out of solutions. I'm all out of effort, and I'm all out of resolve, and I'm all out of ideas. I am all out of even the strength to live. I have nothing left. That's what he's saying. I have nothing left. You know, that sounds like Philippians 2 as well, where it tells us that Jesus emptied himself due to that self-limitation. I have nothing left. I have emptied myself. I have nothing left. Me personally, I am alone. And I am giving all of who I am over to you because I'm done. I have nothing left. This is the lament of the alone, is that I have nothing left. I have nothing left. I am empty. I am alone. There was a pharmacist in uh, the community of believers that I was a pastor for many years. And he was a respected man. It was discovered that he was writing bad scripts illegally. He was arrested. He was tried, convicted, incarcerated. Evidence was clear, overwhelming. There was no explaining it away. There was no patching it up. There was no making up for it. There was no reputation fixing. There was no professional career rehab. He did his time. He got out, predictably. Family relationships completely strained and broken. His character and reputation shot. No more career. 
social group gone. Everything gone. No one is texting you to hang out. Your life is in disarray. I spent time with him as a young pastor. And he said many things, but among many things, he said this. I have discovered that Jesus loves sinners. And when everyone left me, he did not. I tell you this morning, you are never alone. But lament your loneliness. Lament your loneliness. And then, and then, you will meet a friend. The only friend that says, you too. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. I too was alone had nothing left to give. I had nothing to fix it. I even felt my father's absence turning away from me. And then I had to commit everything, everything of who I was, over to my good father. That's the lament of the alone. Would you pray with me? Our Father, you did turn. You did turn your head from your son, your own son, only because he voluntarily submitted himself to the plan. the plan for you to be able to sit with sinners. Sit with the alone. And not only sit, but bias back and begin healing us to wholeness. Enable us to lament our loneliness. Allow us to believe with deep, deep conviction that you are with us, even to the valley of the shadow of death. In Jesus' name, amen.